Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is my co-host Joey. Hey, how is it going? And today we're talking about on the basis of sex. You're asking us to overturn nearly a century of precedent. I'm asking you to set a new precedent, as courts have done before when the law is outdated. But in those cases, the courts had a clear constitutional handle. The word woman does not appear even once in the U.S. Constitution. Nor does the word freedom, Your Honor. This is an American biographical legal drama directed by Mimi Later. The cast includes Jin Erso, Steve Lift, Timothy Bryce, T.D. Ameritrade, Joe Bennett, Milton, and Ben Carlson. The real Ben Carlson, you might say. Yes. Well, you know, I think he and I are neck and neck as far as our fame goes. Uh, uh, I see. Well, on, do you have an IMDb, IMDb page? Based on his IMDb page, he doesn't. His picture's not even on the IMDb page. <laughs> so does he even have one? <laughs> well, you can put your picture on there. I just see. I got to get steal on his there. credit. We've done enough <laughs> movies. I should be able to play a movie critic in a movie. But, anyways, <laughs> I. Uh, I watched this movie on YouTube. Joey, how did you watch it? I watched it on Amazon. Did you pay for it? Uh, yeah, I actually bought it. Yeah, I did too. I was hesitant. I think it's like because Showtime owns it or something. They have yeah. a special. But, but it, was, it was like half price, half the price on Amazon than it was on YouTube. So, Well, I guess it pays to shop around then. <laughs> I do it because um, I watch these movies on Google uh, what is it, Chromecast. So, so do I. It's I my I have the Chrome Chromecast V1 like the original generation oh. and it's so glitchy with Amazon for some reason. Um, so, anyways, that's why I got it on YouTube. YouTube it's runs smooth. Amazon has that X-ray feature thing that's really cool that shows you like the like profiles of the actors on screen. Sometimes you can switch the trivia stuff. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I like that a lot. I have seen some cool stuff that. from that. Um, okay, Joey, why don't you give us the synopsis for on the basis of sex? Does anyone else? Ruth Bossmom Ginsburg is my spirit animal. R.I.P. in Power Queen. Hashtag Ruth Conda forever. <laughs> well done. I, that may sound like a tweet lifted off of Twitter uh, in the past week. Um, but no, and in fact, is the synopsis for <laughs> on the basis of sex. Let's begin as we always do with our pros and our cons. Joey, what did you like about On the Basis of Sex? I like that this movie is an interesting look at an interesting life. It's well-written, well-acted. It's tense in all the right moments, expresses us and expresses this subtle shift in culture really, really well. What about you? I, uh, I, th I think this movie has some good cinematography at times, especially that opening moment uh, where they have all the suits walking together. Yeah. I kind of felt like I uh, maybe started, I was like, wait, is this Pursuit of Happiness? Uh, but no, instead it was actually a really cool look at uh, Harvard. Um, I thought it was a great way to introduce the film without needing to say anything. It gets you right into it. Um, I agree with you. This is a like great subject for a biopic if anybody deserves one it's ruth bader ginsburg uh there's good acting the wardrobe is fantastic you really get a feel for the times and this movie does a good job of making legal matters easy enough to understand for you know those of us that may not have gone to harvard for law okay yes um so i thought that was well <laughs> done because i mean it is all it's a legal drama but they still i, I didn't feel like i ever really got confused 
Um, and sometimes I do. So, well, what about cons, Joey? What did you not like about on the basis of sex? Does this movie give Ginsburg her due? Um, I don't know. I think we'll we'll go through. I would go through this. Uh, the overall section will kind of suss out more uh, how I feel about that. Um, it's pretty standard biopic stuff. Makes it kind of boring in a way, especially after just watching Vice, which was such a like exciting and different take on a biopic. This one is like very standard. Uh, the courtroom scene kind of makes me roll my eyes. It's like real like really like oh wow uh a typical scene where our main character gets to voice her opinions in front of lots of people and everyone's like oh wow maybe she is right you know and it's just kind of <laughs> i don't know it doesn't really do it for me um does it get does it still give too much credit to her husband as well for uh, several different things different ideas that come to her that come from her husband um and it doesn't really show the depth of her impact i was kind of disappointed that a lot of her accomplishments and just kind of the general even like the ending of the movie is kind of relegated to title text at the end of the movie to tell you what happened which doesn't do it as much of an impact as say showing it in a movie um so right yeah if you're gonna write it on a title card i can read it on wikipedia you know like <laughs> yes so um uh yeah i definitely agree with a lot of that like this felt to me like a run-of-the-mill biopic um, especially when you consider how impactful the subject matter is, it, it's like the most interesting thing about this movie is what actually happened, not the movie. You know, like if yes. you could just if you could understand the same information from reading a book or an article, it would be equal in value in a lot of ways. Um, which it's nice. Like I'm glad you brought up Vice because it, comparing Vice to this, it's like in Vice you get a lot of entertainment value and you might sacrifice a little bit of your confidence in exactly what you're bold in this one they are trying to be very confident in what they're telling you and they definitely sacrifice some of the entertainment value i did think this movie was low-key boring um i mean not like I, I think the subject matter is important i and it's not a bad movie but it didn't feel like they brought anything else to the table outside of literally ruth ginsburg's life and i would have it could have been nice to bring in, I don't know, it, like it's not trying yeah, to be yeah. Vice, but it didn't bring anything of that spice that, that Vice brought. It was, I mean, it's, it's kind of complicated because like, like a biopic to me kind of, um, maybe not exaggerates, but like really emphasizes certain parts of a person's like life or personality that kind of brings it to show you a kind of it through a different lens maybe through one that's not necessarily totally historical but one that is like emotional or impactful or culturally relevant right and kind of gives you an idea of how people feel about something whereas this was kind of like a basic stating of fact but it's not a documentary it's a you know it's not pretending to be uh, factual base bringing experts and saying oh this is based on this and this right and and giving you the idea or the sources of something it's still a biopic which makes you think okay well how much of this is really real right so it, in its attempt to be to stick to the facts it still fails based on the medium it's in right it's you know inspired I mean? it's, by a true story it's not right literally a true story um and one other thing I had a problem with was uh, I really did not love uh, Kaylee Spaney as Jane Ginsburg, especially having her on screen at the same time um, as some of the other really great performances. It just felt like she really fell flat compared to them. And for me, that was a 
you know, it's it just wasn't great. <laughs> it was unfortunate, I guess, especially because I do feel like Jane represents such an important part of Ruth G- uh, Ruth Ginsburg's impact, which is uh, inspiring the next generation. So yes. Um, so anyway, so that's that's enough of our pros and cons. Let's really get into it. Let's flesh out these ideas in our overall section. Joey, take it away. I think this movie is fine. Um, I think it's awesome that we have something like this. But ultimately, it's a pretty standard biopic, and it's of a pretty remarkable woman. Um, this is a, there's some really great dialogue throughout, especially during the first half of this movie. It was really awesome. Uh, Felicity Jones is is great. Um, I had only ever seen her in. Um, a Star Wars and seeing her in this, she, I think she did a great job. Army Hammer, also great. Love seeing one of the most him ridiculous, again. One of the most ridiculous names in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> also great to see him. Um, I keep thinking that his name is going to be like a pun, you know? Like it's like Army Hammers, like, but like hammers have nothing to do with the army or like, I guess maybe guns, like his his arms are hammers. I don't know. I, I don't know. There's something there, but that's, I don't understand. I mean, it kind of matches just what he looks like. He's kind of a larger than life guy. So I feel like he has to have a larger than life name. You know, it sticks out. Sure. I guess. Is Army Hammer a larger than life name? It's certainly out of the ordinary. <laughs> <laughs> it's silly. Okay. I, uh, I really like the family aspect and the strong characterization of Ginsburg is really compelling. I think that's, if we're going to compare this to Vice, that's something that this movie does much better than Vice does for its, uh, for its subject. Um, and uh, it turns out, like, she it turns her to a real person, like, like Ginsburg, who struggles and doesn't express herself exactly the way she intends. She's hard-headed and ambitious, which makes her likable, but it also makes her life difficult. Um, and I, I thought that was great. I thought that was a really well, great way of, of showing it. Um, of course, this is still overshadowed by the, the what is real aspect of this movie. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the things they got right uh, a little later on. Um, this movie kind of comes in two parts. The first part is where she is successful and brilliant despite her circumstances. This is really cool to see. Uh, she stands up for herself. She takes on extra responsibility and she makes sacrifices. The, this movie does such a good job of reminding you that Ruth Ginsburg was a woman first. She was not a masculine person or one of the boys or ashamed of her femininity. You know, it's not like she didn't fit in with women and then she, she felt like she needed to prove herself uh, in like the workplace. She was a woman and she was a, a mother. And, you know, she, you know, she does that first scene where she's um, having sex with her husband. Like, that's all like typical woman stuff. You know what I mean? Um, and, and she embraces that and holds it forward for the world to see. She never compromises this or makes excuses. Right. She wears the dress. To, to school and it's very conservative and you know it's very appropriate but she's not trying to dress or seem like a harvard man you know what i mean this stands in contrast to the world's treatment of her she does everything right everything she's supposed to do but it's never enough but she is not saying i succeeded because i'm a woman or even despite being a woman she simply is a remarkable person yeah and i think that that like you know who she is being in stark contrast to the way that the world treats her is really epitomized by this uh quote from the movie uh that when she's trying to get a job as a lawyer right after she gets out of school so let's listen to that a woman a mother and a judah boot i'm surprised that many let you through the door one sent me to interview for the secretarial pool another told me i'd be too busy at bake sales to be effective one partner closes clients in the locker room at his club, so he said I'd be out of the loop. 
Last week, I was told women are too emotional to be lawyers. Then that same afternoon, that a, a woman graduating top of her class must be a real ball buster and wouldn't make a good colleague. I was asked when I'd have my next baby and whether I keep Shabbat. One interviewer told me I had a sterling resume, but they hired a woman last year, and what in the world would they want with two of us? You must be livid. My mother taught me not to give way to emotions. Bullshit. You're angry. Good. Use it. I have to say, Mrs. Ginsburg, I'm very impressed. Mr. Green, I want to be a lawyer. I want to represent clients before the court in pursuit of justice. You can see I, I worked hard through school. I, I did everything I was supposed to, and I excelled. I swear it, I'll do the same for you. The fact is that, you know, we're a, a close-knit firm, almost like family, and... Uh, But the wives, they get jealous. So I, I think this is just a great example of just the discrimination um, that women and others uh, face, especially in something as important as the job market. Like they assume that she, because she's a woman, that she must be there to be a secretary, not to be um, a lawyer. Or that because she's a woman, she'll obviously be doing bake sales. Um, or, <laughs> or that because, like, because being a lawyer is a man's job, like it, it has to be done in male uh, environments, like the locker room. It can't. Women totally can't be involved. Uh, or that women are too emotional, based on you know not on who you are, just the fact that you're a woman means you're too emotional automatically. Um, I um, I have recently come to my conclusion on my own that the opposite is true. It's actually men that are the most more emotional sex. <laughs> I can't believe you like, said that. I'm pissed off now. <laughs> there's there's one sex that's governed by their hormones to the point of being ridiculous and to the point of like over over promoting like certain acts of violence and just you know I I think you can make the case pretty easily. Wow. Well, I I feel like you don't have to generalize either of them. You know, you're right. People, you're right. People are emotional. You know, uh, at the same time, like they're also saying that um, you know women are too emotional to be lawyers. You can't. You're not. Your emotions are going to get away of you being a talented lawyer. But at the same time, you're too talented. If you're a woman and you're at the top of your class, I don't want to be around. You're you must be a real ball buster. Like right, you must be real how shrill. Can, how can it be you know, both ways? Mean. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then like. I, you know, oh, when are you going to have your next baby? Because if you're a woman, you automatically are going to definitely have babies. Um, and also having a baby is like bad for being a lawyer. Like you you can't be a mother and also a lawyer. You know, that's ex yes. like somehow mutually exclusive. And then also it goes beyond uh, and they kind of make this case when they talk about race as well. But like it goes beyond just being a woman in that it's like also you're Jewish, so there's also a reason for us not to, because you might not work right um, during the Sabbath. So, like, and also they said that they already filled their quota for women because they got one last year. So, <laughs> what would they do with two women? I think it's not like you know, like 
<laughs> yeah, uh, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, they hit it from all directions, and it really gives you just uh, like it epitomizes exactly what uh, you're going for here. Because there, I mean, there's more examples than this that happen in real life, but I think they did a good job of just shooting a barrage at you um, and and letting you know, despite how impressive you know Ruth Ginsburg is at this point, um, it doesn't matter because uh, you know race or sorry, uh, gender based discrimination exists and is totally legal at this point. Yes. Yeah, that, I mean, that was something really kind of surprising that you got away, that came away from this movie for me, was just that it was, it wasn't so much like it was an unspoken, but it was actually legal to discriminate based on sex, based on assumptions that people made about the roles people had in society. It's pretty crazy. Um, and yeah, like the fact that they wouldn't evaluate her based on her credentials was simply by her uh by her being a woman was the was all they needed you know and i think i mean that's still kind of prevalent today you see like uh, like uh studies done on like resumes where like the resume is identical except for the name on the resume and if it's like a white sounding male name it's more likely to be hired than if it's like a a traditional black name or a woman you know it's uh it's um it's a almost subconscious thing in a way and it's largely because it's been in this it's been this way for such a long time. Yeah. Um, doesn't necessarily mean it makes sense. Yeah, and I'm glad yeah. that they, you know, make such a point of it because even today, I still feel like there's a lot of people who would agree, like, no, yeah, obviously a woman can't be a lawyer, you know? Like and <laughs> yes. so to do this, to be brave enough to push this hard against it back then, um, yeah, it's remarkable. It is. Okay, so the second part of the movie, it's part I don't like quite as much. Um RGB is teaching at Rutgers. That's one of the only jobs she was able to get. Um, and she feels like she's wasting her time. She's not able to pursue her dreams uh, like she wanted to. And it makes her bitter and, and uh, pessimistic. This leads to several scenes where she appears unprepared to speak in court or to, to defend her client. And, you know, maybe that's something that only that's only experience can teach you. Uh, but throughout the movie, you saw that she was very articulate. She often made her case very strongly in the moment. It was the men's inability to see reason that stood in her way, not her ability to communicate. I don't know. Maybe I'm reaching here, but it's hard to reconcile her tenacity and confidence in the first half with her insecurity in the second. I don't think you know you're I mean? reaching. I think that makes perfect sense. I was so frustrated to see her like flubbing her oral arguments because like, wait, isn't this exactly who you are? Isn't this exactly <laughs> yes. what you know? You know this better than anybody. Plus, you're right. Earlier in this movie, when she just got to Harvard, we saw her be very articulate and stand up against the dismissive criticism of men so uh, yeah i felt it like it's good for the drama it's like oh no is she gonna blow it but um yeah it also that's what that's what rubbed me so wrong without that court scene yeah yeah definitely i feel like we at that point were more confident in her abilities uh so it kind of felt like a step backwards definitely and it, yeah just for the drama of it really one thing I, I, I really like about this movie is how it shows how sexism affects our, our women characters without them really even knowing how to express it. In the first few minutes of the movie, you hear this speech from the dean of Harvard Law. What does it mean to be a Harvard man? A Harvard man is intelligent, of course, but he is also tenacious. He is a leader devoted to the rule of law. He is mindful of his country loyal to tradition and he is respectful and protective of our institutions as soon as he says the word man 
you see Ruth's face sort of change, you know? And I watched it back again recently. It's not even that she feels uncomfortable as much as it's just like she kind of, her face kind of falls a little bit. Like she's really excited up to that point. And then she hears the word man and she's like, ah. And at first it's like, oh yeah, this famous feminist is uncomfortable with the wording of this. But, but reading about her life and then the rest of the movie, this is really just the normal everyday discrimination that women put up with. The uncomfortable look is almost a feeling that has no name. Something that sat with you wrong, but you couldn't exactly say why. In a way that it was just a reminder of what I'm sure she had been told many, many times. You don't belong here. You know, they talk about kind of how, uh, like, they say gender discrimination. What, the, what is that? Gender discrimination. Like, this is a new thing. Kind of. They're they, making they it up. That. They're trying to make it a thing. Right, right, right. So in a way, like, it, it never, it didn't really have a name you know sex discrimination wasn't a well-known enough term or concept for women to really even like uh internalize or understand what was happening to them you know i i really do believe that like words have that power to solidify a concepts into being something that you can act upon and that again you can see that she feels something in that moment it's it is subtle her, but her face changes in a way that's like ah like like almost a, a self-doubt thing. Like, do I really belong here? Am I out of place? You know, but you see her fight against that over and over and over again throughout the movie and throughout her real life as well. I think it's so interesting how like it takes something, it, it takes something that seems so obvious to us, right? And makes it seem so foreign in that context. And it's not, it, it's this thing that's like, so radical for people to understand but it seems so obvious to us now you know it's so obvious in that moment what's happening but to women in that space at that time would they have really conceived like that this was not right because it seems so normal right no i totally agree it makes you wonder what we're feeling like is normal right now that in the future won't be and we'll realize the injustice or the uh you know why it's wrong yeah there's that scene that she has with uh, that that dinner that where uh, uh, Sam uh, Watterson, um, uh, he uh, what, what's uh, he's at the he invites the nine women who are at Harvard Law and to dinner and he asks them why are you here taking a place of a man this actually really did happen by the way and her response in the movie is her was her real response she says I'm at Harvard to learn uh, she says uh, my my husband is a lawyer I'm at Harvard to learn about his work so I can be a more patient and understanding wife. And later you see her kind of railing against that, thinking that she just had to say what she needed to say. But there's evidence to show that she didn't really challenge the status quo that much, despite being one of the only women at Harvard at the time, um, until later in her life. And it's possible that she really did feel that she this was the reason she was here. It's it's really interesting. Dang, wife of the um, year, dude. Learn, crazy. Like, goes to Harvard just to like <laughs> I just want to be able to understand you when you come home. Like <laughs> that's so funny, right? <laughs> um, yeah, but how she really felt in that moment is a mystery. But her response is resignation, uh, a commitment to the status quo, uh, which she fought against so much later on. And then later on, you see similar responses uh, to similar remarks by other women in, in, in other situations, most notably Harriet Griswold, um, who is the dean's wife. Um, 
she, they're they're talking about how they're going to fight against the gender discrimination suit, um, and she's sitting there listening, even asking questions. But there's one moment where they're they're they like kind of go, okay, this is all the bad things that are going to happen if women have equal rights, right? Uh, you know, family the family is going to like fall apart. Women are going to have this job and this job, and you see her open her mouth and then deciding not to speak up, and it's almost as if. Uh, it, it's this kind of silence. Just like, what do you even, what do you even say in that situation? And even if you spoke, would they listen to you if you had something to say? It, it's similar to how like Ruth lays out like over and over again. Hey, like I've been discriminated against in all of these ways, and you and the guy's like, yeah, that's unfair. Here's another way that I'm yeah, gonna actually, against that's you. something you know? we I I meant to to point out is that the guy she was talking to totally understands what she's going through and even agrees she should be pissed off but then when it's his turn to make something make a difference and change that he's like yeah he balks totally can't sorry right so it's hard for you to see like i feel like she makes the uh, harry griswold in this moment makes the wise move of not saying anything because like what what could she possibly say right these people have already made up their minds but still it's tragic to see her realizing something and then not being able to express it it's uh and that's like kind of the whole story in a way yeah no it's it's definitely um that's why it's so brave to try to go about changing people's minds this way because it is something that seems so set in stone in retrospect it's easy for us to be like no obviously women should be equal but you know back then it was just the natural order of things which um, was an interesting word, like wording to use yes. in court. Um, but I'll, I'll say that for when we start talking about the. Yeah, yeah, I got that. I got. I want to come back to that first. I want to complain more about the courtroom scene. <laughs> I like. I hate this scene. It's so. It's so cringe to me. Uh, they introduced this whole like you have thirty minutes to state your case mechanic, which is so trite, especially since they just break from it multiple times. Right, the arguments are not laid out in real time. Um, like. Uh, army hammer gets up there and he starts speaking and then he like he says like literally two sentences and then they like ask him a bunch of questions and then he tries to pass it off to ruth and then like she says like she gets like one word in and then they start interrupting her and then she's like out of time it's like (laughs) like they hit the button and then it's like this is all happening in real time or not it's so confusing because like maybe those moments are uh non-diegetic right like they're a representative of what she's saying without saying the whole thing again because she's already laid out the argument a couple times in the movie um but uh to like introduce this mechanic and then to like kind of just use it to like subvert it is so dumb to me especially since like at the end they decided to just give her the last word and more time than her like her, like that's not fair yeah well, this is a debate you're supposed to give them equal time like that's obvious well i felt I like know. it was you know in a way for them to try to make court easier to understand for uh you know sure. people who may not have sure, gone but, to harvard but why not law. why have the uh why have the time thing at all i you agree know? with that it was I, I was on board until they were like go on mrs <laughs> ginsburg it's like okay what is this like is this some sort of why does she get bonus time you know like that doesn't you that is when i was like okay then just throw that out completely i don't need to have the yes. court whatever guy stand up and be like time's almost up yeah, if yeah, you yeah. can't finish your argument before i plop my behind back into this chair <laughs> then it's over for women's so, rights and then so glad i was not that guy i would be terrible at that job i'm so bad at like estimating time well, it's, <laughs> i'm paying attention it's uh yeah i just think that they're really inconsistent which totally you know makes it irrelevant <laughs> that they had a timer to begin with right i think i think you can make the argument that uh 
they're letting Ginsburg get her due because she was so shorted uh, as a woman and because her team insisted on her husband going first. Like she's finally getting this chance to speak up in like a court of law. And it's like the fair thing to do in a way. But it doesn't it's not fair in that moment, I guess. I don't know. Like I like I'm okay with her having the extra time to expel out her arguments. I don't need to hear the other side's arguments at, like laid out in detail. Like I get it. Um, but if you're going to introduce this time thing, like why, like why do it this way? I guess it's, it's, it's so bleh, to me. Um, no, it just feels like just to like, me, it just feels like this is a legal drama. So we're going right. to do legal drama stuff. Right, like, right, right. It's like, oh, we have all this, all this, all this, uh, you know, technical stuff going on in the background. We're like, you have this much time and you're like, this guy's going to do this, this, this ritual. Yeah. And there's a clock and he's like, and a big old, like, uh, like one of those, uh, uh, chess timers. Yes. That's you know? what I <laughs> thought it was too, a chess timer. But I also felt like they were like, court is actually like sports and Ruth Bader Ginsburg is going to make the buzzer beating argument. Yeah. Where yes. she finishes, and that's why women should have equal rights. Bam! Like Bam as dunk. the buzzer goes Boom. off and, and the, the court goes wild, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I have expected when she like she had made a couple of points where like I thought the whole court was gonna erupt in applause. You know, <laughs> uh, it's like yeah, and then get it, and then like that one of the judges gives her one hundred dollars, and that judge, <laughs> what his name was, Albert Einstein. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Oh my god, it's funny. No, no, like it, it is just a chance for our main character to lecture the audience and to have a bunch of people who they've you've been told are important, like to act convinced that she's been that they've been convinced. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, you see this all the time. Sometimes, like I, I try not to do this in like videos I make, where like I'll try to make a point and then like my other character in the movie in the in the things like that's a really good point because like. Doing like yeah, of course I think it's a good point. I'm the one who wrote it. Like having <laughs> someone else who I also wrote say it's a good point, it's just like narcissism. Yeah. So the, I don't want to say that this is like narcissism on RGB's point, just more so on like the filmmakers not having confidence in their own argument because they need the supporting structure of a court to reinforce her stuff, right? It's so much more powerful if she makes those arguments and still loses, although that's not really what happened. But if she, but if that happened, then you would be left as an audience to be like, wow, you know, maybe there's something wrong with the whole system because I was convinced of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but these other people were not. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. That's not what you see. Well, to be fair, I do feel like she was convincing, um, especially yes. because her opponents made such a ridiculous argument. I, I mean... It is definitely something that people think that the natural order of things is that men do this and that. But like, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I do not feel like that would really be the strongest case or uh, what they would do in this particular situation. I don't know. I think it was I think it was sticking to basically what they were arguing in, at, at the time. I like it's really weird because the argument for equal rights is so obvious to me. And it's an obvious thing that should be obvious from the very beginning, right? From the very beginning when they say, this guy was discriminated against because he's a man. Here's the evidence, you know? Um, it's so obvious that that's wrong. Or, or the vice versa, obviously. The, the argument they're making in the, in the movie is that because he's a man, because he's a different sex than they expected, he, uh, he shouldn't get the rights, the same rights. Um, so how do you present the other side's argument as ever being convincing against something so obvious right i think they do actually a pretty good job 
they they come up with the precedent argument. They give hundreds of examples of similar laws. They argue for the natural law, which like people kind of inherently believe as having merit. Um, but does that law even matter in court? That's I guess maybe it's just because I don't know much about legal stuff, but it just feels like you're making something up. Like you're just like, well, they they say that in the well, maybe they say that in the court though. Like, do we have to? Or should we have a law that reinforces this quote unquote natural law, right? And because like it, it to men at the time, right, and even some men today, it's natural for like there'd be a hierarchy of sexes, right? And so writing that into law seems like it should that would be a reflection of reality. When in fact those laws dictate reality. So it's it, it i don't know it, it's it's tricky and i think the, i think the i think the case they make although it, flawed is compelling and would be convincing for people at the time um but in the end the case that they bring forward is so obviously incorrect right it is short-sighted ultimately you end up with one side making an argument that makes sense and the other side ignoring the evidence to reach whatever conclusion they started with so how do they suddenly see reason i keep thinking about that scene with um the dean with dean grinswald right uh and uh ruth is trying to convince him that she needs to work remote (laughs) (laughs) she needs to learn remote which i thought was hilarious Uh, she needs to go to columbia law because her husband is moving to new york city and she wants to be with her family obviously um and she's she brings up all of these examples of how it's unfair because other people have done it in the past right and this guy's not letting her do that but he kind of dismisses all of that eventually, right? And and you know, kind of, because this is a movie about sexism, that he's doing it for sexist reasons. But um, he never truly engages her in that argument, right? The argument she lays out is good, but he's not willing to be convinced. You know what I mean? So how do you show that one side of the argument is right when the other side doesn't want to be convinced, you know? Yeah. And when you lay out that argument, they have to change their mind, but they're not willing to be convinced. It kind of, I don't know. It's really yeah, tricky. No, I mean, that's how I feel about <laughs> anything political where you try to, yes. like, here's why my side is right. It's like, actually, I'm on the other side and I will never agree. And right. Yeah. This is like an example of that. I want to get to that in a second too. But, um, I think I don't think they do this very well of, of this convincing argument, but I don't really know how to do that at all. And I think that this is an attempt, at least, and I, I applaud them for that. But I, again, it's it's something that needs work. Um, Ginsburg existed in kind of another time, one where people were concerned with justice and doing things the right way. Throughout her career, she used the power of the court and the founding principles of our nation to change things in the quote unquote right way. She went through the system. She did the hard work and she changed it. That comes from believing that the Constitution and society at large is a growing, breathing, living thing, something that can be altered and is not set in stone. This quote is repeated three times in the movie, and it comes up to uh, it speaks to an optimism about our system. This is from one of the Harvard law professors during a lecture. Um, he says, judges are bound by precedent, but they cannot ignore cultural change. A court ought not to be affected by the weather of the day, but will be by the climate of the era. And this is followed up by uh, Martin Ginsburg's, uh, you know, kind of reaction to this, saying the law is unfinished; it is a work in progress and ever will be. 
And those quotes at the end of the movie, there's a quote from the end of the movie that Ginsburg also says that mirrors this as well. Uh, she says this um, in, her, in her statement to the court. We're not asking you to change the country. That has already happened without any court's permission. We are asking you to protect the country's right to change. Like now those arguments that she presents, like those arguments she presents were radical at the time, right? They were unheard of. They were unconceptualized in a way. Um, people had been arguing for women's rights and, and, and sex discrimination for uh, you know almost 100 years up to this point, but to lay them out the way she did and to, to say that this is something that just be, we have to ignore precedent in this case was unprecedented. Um, but the only excuse, uh, but, but the only excuse is that those in power used to hold on to the old ways and come down to an un, comes down to an unwillingness to change um, and to grow and to learn. They have abandoned those principles that Ruth used to make the world a more fair place. And now it feels like those ways are closed. It's a, I, yeah, it's really, uh, I mean, it's kind of a pessimistic way to look at things, but it also is kind of a, I don't know, uh, realistic way to look at things, like just right. seeing things it's for like, how they are. It, it's so interesting because like she used, she did everything right throughout the movie, right? And when, when she came across something that she didn't like, she came across a law that she found unfair. She changed the law, right? In the way that it was meant to be changed, which like is, I mean, it's kind of hard to uh, like imagine just how amazing that, that is, especially now when like things get filibustered so easily and things get stuck in a system so easily and it never feels like we're moving toward anything new or better. It just seems like we're unwilling to learn or change or grow. And like people have learned how to deflect these arguments in favor of keeping things the way they are. Yes. And, and I find that really annoying yeah, <laughs> and well, very frustrating. There's a great example of that in this movie and I want to play this quote, uh, which I think really does, is a good example of it paint the judges a picture of the America that will exist if they rule the wrong way. Children running home from school to find no one's there. Mommies at the office or on a factory floor. Man and woman vie for the same job. She can work for less. What is a man without a paycheck to take care of his family? What woman would want him? Wages would go down. Divorce rates would soar. The very fabric of our society would begin to unravel. Exactly. The other side wants this to be about the equal protection principle. The judges are deciding what kind of country, what kind of society. They want their children and grandchildren to grow up. And you make sure the court sees what's at stake is the American family. So this is exactly what we're talking about. These kind of alarmist takes on any sort of uh, structural change. The people who are currently the beneficial beneficiaries of what's currently in place will you know, spin up any kind of story to say, you know what, this is actually bad for you. If uh, it's bad for everyone, if we change anything, we should probably leave it how it is, you know? Yeah, sure, maybe there's problems, yeah. but you wouldn't, it's so, it'd be so much worse if we tried to change it. And, um, and I feel like, that is always yeah. going to be an argument well, is, no matter what, where we're at. It's complicated because I really do believe that these, the intentions here are relatively benign. Like they, they actually believe that things are the way they are for a good reason. And like, maybe these are, maybe these are real concerns that they have. Like they don't know how this is going to affect things. 
like obviously they're all ridiculous and it's a slippery slope right it's not a it's not a a sound argument there's no evidence for any of these things but there's also it's never been proven or never been tested in, in a way right the thing that makes it hard for p- these guys to like actually understand what's happening is they've never felt the sting of discrimination right they don't understand the world that Ruth Ginsburg and other women like her live in and they don't understand that uh by keeping these things in place they are like keeping them from being people right and they don't see it that way because they have all of the rights that they ever wanted and anything that they ever was ever in their way has been broken down but that's not true for other people and they don't see it that way right and uh i don't know it's like classic conservatism versus like being progressive you know they currently see things as good and they're fine the way that they are uh and it's super difficult mm -hmm. for them to see anything else as being a you know uh being viable yeah yeah it's frustrating and i think that's still just as real now as it was then uh a lot of these kind of arguments where it, it just immediately becomes alarmist and if we go if we even consider your propositions for equality then the whole entire society is going to burn to the ground it'll be all your fault yeah but i feel like now it's gotten even more complicated in that like a lot of the people that are making these kinds of arguments don't actually believe them anymore because how could you based on what you've seen and I think that they're making them in bad faith. They're they're making them for re- they're saying things that have effects that have that are not what they're saying. You know, in yeah. this case, they're like, okay, these are the things that we are worried about. But nowadays, they say these things because they don't want more people to vote. They won't want people to have equal representation under the law. They don't want, uh, you know, a a different type of power to come to ha- to threaten their power, and that um. And they they realize that these kind of tactics work, and that's why they keep repeating it. You don't think that at the time men were afraid of women challenging their power? I think they were, but I think the argument was a little less complex at that point. Maybe maybe it wasn't, but I I think that was ultimately that's what they were afraid of, right? I think all these arguments stem from that same idea of like like what if you know what if we lose some of the foothold that we have, but. I think some of it, some of it, like the the argument for the American family, or saying like, "Oh, this is going to disrupt children's lives and stuff." I feel like they're, I feel like they might have a reason to think that. Maybe it's wrong, but it it sure. at least feels like something that you could argue for. <laughs> yeah, definitely, and it yeah, it doesn't necessarily have to be based in some sort of malice intent uh, to right. keep women down. I, I I can definitely see that. Um, Okay, so a couple more comments I had on this uh, film. First off, uh, did you feel like they kind of glazed over the fact that Ginsburg basically like did Harvard twice? You know, like she's like <laughs> doing her classes and her husband's classes. Like I know they showed like the two different folders and stuff, but I felt like they started that and then they're like, okay, and now college is over and everything went fine. I'm like, wait, what? Wouldn't that be like super hard? Isn't Harvard already really difficult? Um, I mean, I don't know. It. it the movie's obviously not about what she did at Harvard, but um, I just felt a little bit misled by that because I was like, wow, what a Herculean task. I wonder how this is going to go. Oh, mm. it went perfectly? Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what they... I mean, she was a year behind him, right? So I don't know. Like, She probably took some of the same classes and stuff. Um, but I don't know. It was. Uh, I think they did a good enough job of showing 
her like struggling with that a little bit, you know? Um, okay. Yeah, I yeah. don't know. It's just it was just something that kind of the the pacing there was a little bit strange for me. But obviously, looking at the larger scale of the movie, it's kind of a minor detail. But I do wonder what is real, like how much of her did she really take all his classes? Like how how she did really they did possibly he pull really that did off? get testicular cancer, and she really did help him study and everything, and like attended classes for him and wrote his papers. But what well, well, I think when they say write write her write his papers, I think they mean he dictated and she typed them. Right. Um, so, which actually brings me to my next point. I think uh, first off, typing on a typewriter is super impressive. As a person oh my God. who's very familiar with the backspace key, uh, I think it's it's amazing. That <laughs> I they, think about they used that almost that. every day. I'm like, <laughs> if I had a typewriter, I'd be screwed. Yeah. You know, I oh, could yeah. never do this. Well, I make so many typos. I, I yeah I liked the scenes where they had the really big zoom in on the words and yeah. it was interesting because I don't know what it's called but you know that moment when you realize that um like when the title of the movie happens in the film you're like oh that's why it's called that that happened to me twice because there's the scene where uh, Martin Ginsburg and Ruth Ginsburg are in their bedroom and she, he starts to undress her and then they clearly like start to have sex and I'm like oh that's why it's called on the basis of sex and then then i see this scene i was like no i was totally wrong this is why it's called on the basis of sex you're just like those judges who, when you see the word sex the first that's the first association you have oh, this is gonna be a saucy case no but uh, being completely honest how do you feel about that kind of moment in a movie where they put it uh the title of the movie so explicitly um because it, it does for me kind of for a moment i'm like oh that's the name of the the movie and i don't know how much that takes away from it or adds i don't know um, it's just like that meme i mean it's like family guy did that yes. a long time ago right like, i have to become like superman three the like, quest for peace yeah <laughs> like, oh that's a great bit uh, yeah. but um but no i i think i think most most of the time movie titles are written after the movie's written right yeah. so they usually to me if i was writing this movie i would say okay what's our you know what's our catchy title how do we get people how do we get butts and seats and then you you pull a line of dialogue or like something that's really a big motif in uh ruth bader, ruth bader ginsburg's life um i don't know i i well, I mean, I'm this. watching a movie, so I guess I'm. It's hard for me to like disassociate completely. No, no, but. I to I agree that it's um a great title for this movie, though. It it's it literally is what it's about, but it also what might make you double take and be like, did that say sex? Uh, so a movie with sex in the title. <laughs> this Heavens. is gonna be good. <laughs> <laughs> what are there gonna be ankles in this too? <laughs> um, and finally, one more thing I want to talk about is Martin Ginsburg. Okay, Martin Ginsburg is. In this movie, he is the perfect man, the perfect husband. Okay, he's six foot five, jaw chiseled by the gods. He's great with kids. He's a supportive husband. He's good at cooking. He's successful at his job. Prolific, even on track to be the youngest partner in the firm's history. Oh, and did I mention he's a lawyer? Okay. Look, I know Martin Ginsburg had a very close relationship with his wife, and that's important to portray in a biopic about her. He even uh, was the cook at home. He was better yeah. at cooking than uh, Ruth in real life, and uh, Army Hammer did uh, practice some of his own recipes, uh, Martin's recipes, uh, oh, really? in preparation so, for yeah, this Yeah, I saw him chopping those that celery real professional. I'm like, did he practice... 
like how to cook for this movie. <laughs> yes, I actually read an article from People magazine where Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the real Ruth Ginsburg, said that the way he was like chopping those vegetables, she said that had a, it was very Marty of him. Like, uh, that was really? like one of the best parts of his portrayal, which I thought was cool. Uh, like the the whole. I guess if you're only in one movie every five years, then you can get away with that slant. But well, if you're <laughs> his role at like the, they showed him in the kitchen a lot, and this was uh, directly juxtaposed with kind of the expectations of men at the time and women at the time, where it wouldn't make sense to have a you can't have a family. If the man is doing the cooking, you know, it doesn't make sense. The rules are all messed up. But he is like the living example that that's not true. And that is lifted straight out of real life. They didn't add that in. So like that, obviously, it's important to um, portray uh, Martin Ginsburg as an important part of Ruth Ginsburg's life. Um, I just think it's really funny that they chose Army Army Hammer, dude. Like he... (laughs) Like the, it's not really an issue as much as it's hilarious to think about that artistic choice to be like, I'm going to choose this stupidly attractive man to play her <laughs> husband. And I'm, I like to think, I mean, I don't, I have nothing to back this up, but I like to think that Ginsburg was consulted on this casting choice. Because oh, really? <laughs> why, I mean, this movie was made eight years after her husband passed away. Uh, like, why wouldn't you choose the hunkiest actor you could find That's to portray your, your husband, you know? Um, especially because I looked up real pictures of Martin Ginsburg and don't get me wrong I mean, he's not like an ugly guy or anything but he certainly wasn't six Army foot five Hammer. yeah <laughs> so i um i just think that that was a, a hilarious choice um and you know ruth obviously loved him a lot so maybe it was just a loving portrayal to sure like, sure look at this hunk that i was married to yeah uh well that, I, yeah like you said it's it's largely correct largely correct the way they portray him in the movie it, Ruth is quoted as saying that he was like her biggest supporter, especially early on. And, and like he always believed in her and like married her bef- because of her mind. And that's what that's what like attracted her to him. Yeah. Um, and it's like to bring it in modern terms, like this guy um, is such a Chad, you know, and it's <laughs> it's really easy to agree with his viewpoint because he has every advantage as a man. Society is working for him, but it's so important that it changes you know Mm -hmm. in his in his own opinion as well and it doesn't seem like it's something that he has to constantly be coerced into he's not perfect there are times where ruth gets frustrated with him being kind of an egghead uh because you know he can't see it as well as her um and how could he he's not a woman but um yeah he he it makes it easy to agree with if you're just a normal dude and you're like, well, if this Chad is on board with it, you know, I, and that's what I'm trying to aspire to be. Then I can agree with these ideas too. Yeah. And he, I mean, he's an advocate for her throughout, you know, I mean, there's that one scene after the party where she feels like she's been dismissed. Right. And, and she, she brings that up with him and he's like, he doesn't understand. Right. Uh, And I feel like I've had that same conversation before. It's like, Oh yeah. like, Like, like it's so hard to articulate from, the woman's point of view exactly what went wrong you know because it's such a subtle it's a, such a subtle condescension um but then later on when um the boss is challenging like ruth's competency he stands up for her you know and and does make that change and then later on when they're you know practicing in the court and everything he st- he sits back and lets her make the arguments you know and at, at one point she, he steps in and try to help which kind of backfires on on all of them but you can tell it's all from this point of view of like, I believe in her. I believe that what she can do. And like, it's everyone else that's wrong, not me or her. Right. And I mean, as important, obviously I don't want to, um, 
let his role overshadow hers. But it is important to have got, like, like allies like Martin Ginsburg who were on board as well, you know, to to use their advantages and their privileges to uh, help further the cause. I also, just while we're talking Army Hammer, the only genuinely funny part of this movie for me was when he was talking about how tax is the only genuinely funny area of the law, <laughs> especially because originally when I, I when it, that scene started, I thought that was going to be just a background thing. Like, it was just going to be Army Hammer talking to all these guys, and you're like, you know, tax is the only genuinely funny Right, right, right. Area but then it keeps law. coming back. You keep and, hearing and then more he tells of it. a whole story, which ends up being interesting and kind of funny. Um, but I think it would have been way funnier to just leave it at that and not actually hear him explain. It's like, a classic. Just have all like, the guys in the background, like, laughing with him. And um, I don't this know. It's a He's classic, just, like, um, I'm an insider joke. You exactly. Know what I mean? Yeah. Like a joke only lawyers would get. Right, 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 right. <laughs> I'm just he's just such a ham dude I love Army Hammer <laughs> I'm so happy to see him in this movie um, okay I think that's all for the overall section let's move on to our cool easter eggs what you got Joey oh I got so many easter eggs uh, they're, they're coming out of uh, my ears uh, <laughs> oh wow that's substantial. let's get let's get it going then <laughs> maybe not that many um, so that there's that scene where um, the secretary uh, is typing up uh, Ruth's um, brief and she says as I was typing this up like I uh, I noticed that there's like sex is just throughout like you just use sex 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 like don't you think that's going to undermine your argument and this is a real thing that happened um, it was a real suggestion made by Ginsburg's secretary to use gender instead of sex and um, it, and she really did agree with, agree with her reasoning uh, and uh, so that was a real thing that really happened that's pretty cool um, my next one is uh, Ginsburg was famous, actually, for her long, uncomfortable pauses, sometimes pro prompting the judges to start answering their own questions for her. Uh, so there's that moment where, which I thought at the moment was really contrived, where she's sitting there and she's like really uncomfortable and like uh, her husband is sitting next to her and, she's, and he's like, I don't know what to do. And, and she's like thinking as fast as she can. Right. And they're like, what do we do? What do we do? And they're like, Mrs. Ginsburg. Mrs. Ginsburg, Bueller, and then she um, and then she gets up and, and stands for that. That I don't know if that's just for the movie. It probably was just for the movie, but it is kind of a reference to a, like a real uh, tactic that she had in court, where she would just take her time. Basically, it's a nice save because I Pretty agree cool. with you. That moment was very contrived. I was like, <laughs> how is she not prepared? This is literally all we've been waiting for. Like. <laughs> Yes. Um, so the strategy of bringing a case of gender discrimination against a man was one of Ginsburg's most brilliant and well-tested ideas. She used it many times, um, including during the first Supreme Court case that established that discrimination based solely on sex needed to be justified. And this was uh, Craig v. Boren back in 1976 and it established a, um, a precedent called intermediate scrutiny. Um, which uh, was a kind of indicative of the scrutiny that racial discrimination had to go under, which was called uh, something more extreme, like extreme scrutiny or something like that. Anyway, the, um, basically, under the law, it's uh, legal to discriminate for certain reasons, right? Like, um, yeah, it, uh, recently uh, being transgender just became a reason you, you like it's you can no longer discriminate. That's right, right. even continues to evolve 
Right, right. Well, some of them are like make sense. Like you discriminate against eighteen-year-olds as opposed to seventeen-year-olds right, or stuff right. like that. So there are reasons to discriminate and and stuff. And but uh, before this ruling, there that reason did not have to make sense. Now it had to go under something called intermediate scrutiny, meaning that it had to hold up to a certain amount of reasonableness in order for it to be a baseline for discrimination based on sex. Um, but it, like throughout her, her career, uh, Ginsburg used this tactic of using a male plaintiff um, to make cases for equal protection under the law, uh, which was very smart and worked really in her favor many times. Um, another, I got another one. Uh, Ginsburg really did work at the ACLU starting in 1972. She was on their board of directors and the co-founder of the Women's Rights Project, um, which you kind of see started in this movie. Um, yeah, I, I did like the ACLU kind of portrayal in this movie. I thought they were pretty good. I especially really liked Mel's office, yeah. um, so where it was messy. like so cluttered and just full of like papers everywhere. I, I thought that was an awesome set. So that, well, that was cool. Just, I mean, I feel like this kind of goes without saying, but it is really cool that this movie focuses on a lot of stuff that happens before uh, Ginsburg was on the Supreme Court. You know, it is important to look at that because in this moment when she's just recently deceased, it's easy to be like, well, she was just for a long time. But uh, the reason she got to the court is really relevant and, um, you know, just as important. We'll get to that in just a second. So uh, what, I have a couple Easter eggs and... Um, well, they're really just a little research I did after, and uh, I thought it was interesting. Those fellow Harvard women who were stating that where they, who they are, who they are, where they were from, uh, they're named Hanny Callahan and Emily Hicks. Um, I Googled them, and nothing came up, so mm. I think they may have just been totally made up, uh, which is, I think, a missed opportunity to make an example out of these other Harvard women, because I'm sure they were remarkable. I'm sure you could have found two other women who went to school at the same time as Ginsburg, who came out and did remarkable things, right. but maybe they did. Maybe Henny Callahan and Emily Hicks are real people, and they just got married. And it's just another example of the problems of the patriarchy. I can't Boom. find them on a Google. <laughs> right <So>. back there. <laughs> um, and uh, and also just wait, I covered this earlier. Martin Ginsburg was definitely not six foot five. If you Dang. look up pictures of him and Ruth, who Ruth is really <laughs> short. Um, she was really short. They mentioned that a couple times in the movie. Yeah, and she in real life, she's yeah, remarkably short person. <laughs> exactly. So, and and um, Martin, while taller than Ruth, is not towering over her the same way that Army Hammer um, towers above Ruth in this one. So it's uh, again, that's just more that's more of the portrayal of Martin. But anyways. wow, what what did they get right about this movie? Can't even get <laughs> Martin Ginsburg's height right. I liked it. I'm glad they made him a hunk. <laughs> Um, <laughs> all right, Joey, I believe you know what time it is. It is time for us to go a little deeper. deeper, deeper, deeper. So I got a couple things. First thing I want to mention is kind of a fact check. Uh, they do reference it somewhat in the movie, but, um, Ginsburg largely, uh, was kind of, was part of the kind of status quo. She was kind of making her own way in a man's world. Up until she started studying Swedish and actually went to the University of Lund in Sweden, um, and she met, like, she saw how they were doing things and how they treated their women as people. In fact, she even saw a judge who was eight months pregnant 
serving on the the bench right there and um this kind of opened her eyes to a new way of thinking um and a whole new experience uh of everything so when he makes that joke about how sweden's tax law is unfair and how like it um it doesn't it discriminates against married couples and all that stuff um that was kind of a reference to her um uh experience of going to sweden and learning how they like ran their society and how and that influenced largely her decisions to start pursuing women's rights in america it's pretty cool i'm surprised she didn't uh start pursuing comedy because of how genuinely funny sweden's tax law is <laughs> <laughs> good one <laughs> all right um i want to i want to go through some of her record actually some of the uh, things that she's done uh because it's 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 crazy um, so she uh, argued uh, in front of the Supreme Court six times and won five of those six uh, courts cases. I'm going to read through some of those and give you kind of a brief summary of them. First one was Reed versus Reed, which extended the Equal Protection Clause for the 14th Amendment. Um, so that was the one they referenced in the movie where it said right. that all men in Indiana are inherently better at math than all women. Something like that. Yeah, it, it was it, it expanded that law and he used the 14th amendment as that um the next one was uh frontario versus richardson which allowed female members of the female members of the military the same rights as their male counterparts um which specifically related to housing and medical benefits so like you know service members get special benefits through the government for being service members related to housing uh pricing and, and stuff like that which was only afforded to men and their wives not to women and their husbands and although women weren't allowed in the front lines at this point, they were still allowed in the military complex. Uh, so this was a big ruling for that. Um, Weinberg, uh, Weinberger versus Weinsfield was the next one. This was a social security issue for a widower. Um, so again, this is a, an, a male plaintiff um, and gave him the same benefits as a widow would receive. I believe uh, he had young children that he needed to take care of. And social security gave you benefits if you had minors to take care of, but only if you were a widow, not if you were a widower. Um, so again, another example of her using male plaintiffs to make a case for equal protection under the law and showing how um, these two were, 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 were present and kind of two sides of the same coin in a way. Then there was a case about involuntary sterilization in North Carolina. This is like related to the North Carolina uh, Eugenics Board, um, which I could not find and like the case name of, despite how much I looked. And I'm pretty sure this is the one that she lost because they didn't mention that she won it. Um, but this was related to uh, forced sterilizations. Um, that was happening back when uh, eugenics was a big uh, it was a big thing. Seven seventy six hundred uh, uh, involuntary or un like uh, forced sterilizations um, in North Carolina uh, before they stopped it. Yeah, pretty crazy. Yeah, the next one is uh, Craig versus Bourne, which is the one I mentioned earlier. Um, this one, uh, I there's actually a Radio Lab episode about, which was really interesting. And this one was kind of a turning point in that it established the intermediate scrutiny. Um, up until this point, she had been chipping away slowly at all of the laws, right? And that was kind of her strategy, um, which I thought was was really interesting. Um, and I think I actually have that quote down here uh, somewhere. But uh, we'll get to that in a second. Um, <clears throat> basically, uh, what this... What was so significant about this uh, was that she made the case that there's no... Uh, 
law that discriminates just against men. It also, if it discriminates against men, it's based on a discrimination or assumption about women. And in this case, it was actually because in Illinois, uh, women who were 18 were allowed to buy beer, but men had to wait till they were 21. And so the the exam the the discrimination was like women are more responsible and men are too crazy, uh, especially when they're young, you know, which wasn't supported elsewhere in the country, only in Illinois. And um, it like says they like, they make the case like the most like irresponsible, um, alcohol driven female can buy beer when she's 18, whereas like the most responsible man cannot until he's 21. You know, so it was pretty obvious to make that case. Um, but it, again, she made the case that like this is not a discrimination against just men. This is an assumption about men, about women that led to a discrimination against men. So it's really the same thing, which is pretty cool. Um, then the, the last one that she, that she argued was uh, Duran uh, versus uh, Missouri, uh, which was about jury duty. So jury duty was a, originally optional for women, and women who didn't show up for jury duty were automatically exempted from it. Um, and so he, uh, Duran was actually a man who was tried by a jury of all men and was making the case that this was not representative of the population because it didn't have women on the jury and so he didn't get a fair trial from that which is pretty crazy um what the then after this case uh then associate justice william reinhurst asked ginsburg you wouldn't settle for putting susan b anthony on the new dollar then and ginsburg said she considered responding responding with we won't settle for tokens, but instead opted not to answer the question, which was maybe wise, <laughs> showing her uh, control in that moment. <laughs> yeah, and but also, you know, her eyes on the prize. I uh, you oh know, yeah, that t- putting somebody on the dollar means nothing. I'm sorry, you need to g- yes, get real it's, change. It's what she says. It's a token. It's a, it's not actual change. So then, at this point, she is uh, appointed to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals by uh, Jimmy Carter in 1980. Uh, this is where she met Antonin Scalia, who was kind of her rival in a way, um, but they actually were really close friends. They enjoyed the opera together. Um, uh, but he was like very conservative justice, did a lot of stuff for conservatives, and she was a very liberal justice and did a lot of stuff for liberals, but they still had a really great working uh, relationship. Then she was uh, appointed to the Supreme Court in 1993 by Bill Clinton. She was confirmed 96 to 3 by the Senate, which is, uh, I heard this described on the Daily from uh, uh, the New York Times. It was a simpler time. (laughs) (laughs) So, well, okay, so that wasn't necessarily... Um, totally out of the ordinary to have bipartisan support for a no no Supreme uh, in fact uh, when Bill Clinton was went to uh, was when it was decided that he was going to be impeached they actually both sides like worked uh, side by side to bring that together and there was a unanimous decision based around the, uh, the decision to go forward and and, uh, and follow the principles of um, or establish principles of the impeachment. Because it had only happened once before at that point, um, and so they needed to establish what the rules were for a modern day, and there was a unanimous support about what those rules were, uh, which is uh, unbelievable yeah. if you look at today's Congress. Totally unbelievable. You're telling me there was a point where Congress wasn't just comp- like partisan hacks? Yes. Wow. <laughs> if only, right. dude. Um, so uh, she argued uh, in a speech shortly before her nomination to the court that... Uh, Quote, uh, measured motions seem to be seem to me right in the main for constitutional as well as common law adjudication. 
doctoral limbs too swiftly shaped experience experience teaches may prove unstable unquote and this mirrors a quote from the movie which i think makes it a little more clear because it's not quite as dense uh she says so if dr mcgee had set realistic expectations and instead of making grand promises hawkins award likely would have been less so again this is her strategy of let's not let's not attack sexual discrimination as a whole it's it would be it's too big for it to for them to strike it down all at once let's chip away at it and establish a a base a foundation on which to build bigger and bigger precedents on later um and that's what she says here when doctoral limbs too swiftly shaped experience teaches may prove unstable and i'll get to more about that in just a second um so there's a couple of, of really big cases that she uh, voiced opinions on and dissents on. One of them was Virginia versus United States. Uh, this is based on VMI's, uh, uh, the military economy's male-only admittance policy, which she overturned. Uh, Lily Ledbetter versus Goodyear Tire Company. Uh, she wrote a, a very famous dissent uh, and read it from the bench, which is very unusual. This is something that usually dissents are, are published uh, afterward, uh, after the, uh, the the majority opinion is uh, read out loud, but she read this from the from the bench because she was so um, passionate that this was this ruled the wrong way, and in fact, this led to Congress writing a law that basically undid this decision. It was the decision was about um, unequal pay, and uh, they passed a law called the Lily Ledbetter Act in Congress that overturned this this kind of uh, precedent. Wow, and. Uh, and which was again part of her strategy was the the Supreme Court like interprets the law, but Congress writes the law. So when we say that this is the way things should be, it needs to be mirrored in Congress with strong legislation. There's also this brings me to Roe v. Roe v. Wade. So Ruth Bader Ginsburg famously actually. Uh, was not in complete support of Roe v. Wade for the examples I just mentioned, because she said it was too wide reaching and it didn't establish a strong enough base for this inherent right that she of abortion. She felt that by doing it the way they did, it would be too easily struck down later on. Um, and it was, again, uh, it was a sweeping change throughout the country, all done at once um, without you know, it, it, which makes it unstable, as she says, uh, or, as I mentioned earlier. Um, but she did still support women's rights and abortion in several different cases. One of them, Stenberg versus Carhartt, uh, anti-abortion law that made it uh, way harder for doctors to perform abortions. Um, and she, this was upheld by a later uh, court case called Gonzalez versus Carhartt, uh, which uh, established kind of the same thing. Then there was Whole Women's Health versus uh, Hellerstadt. Her opinion uh, stated that the law was not concerned with protecting women's health, as stated, but was restricting the women's rights to an abortion. Um, so again, like this is kind of a bad faith argument that she's striking down here. Uh, and there's so many more. Oh my gosh. Uh, Olmstead versus LC, uh, which added a me mental illness as a disability that can be covered by the Americans with Disabilities Act in 19 1990. Friends of Earth, Inc. versus Laidlaw Environmental Services, Inc., where you can so sue a local polluter. Um, you don't actually have to prove actual harm to the citizens. You just, the injury to the plaintiff can come from lessening the, quote, aesthetic or recreational values of the area. So strong environmental uh, wow. legislation that she upheld. Uh, and just many, many more. I mean, 
the things she's done is crazy. I mean, the if he, if she had stopped at being this prolific lawyer who argued in front of the uh, the Supreme Court six times, that would be something. But then she went on to be the, like this well known, well respected uh, Supreme Court justice who like found her own voice as the only woman on the bench for a long time and made all of these really big changes to the way our society is structured, like one one tiny case at a time. It's crazy. Other things I want to mention, uh, Ginsburg is believed to be in the first Supreme Court justice to officiate a same-sex wedding, performed uh, the summer after the, those uh, rulings came through. Um, uh, and uh, she said, uh, I mean, at this point, the, it, it's law, so um, there, I, I, don't, I don't see it as a bias. <laughs> uh, the next, the, one of the other things was, despite their ideological differences, Ginsburg and uh, considered Anton Scalia her closest colleague on the court. Uh, the two justices often dined together and attended the opera, and she actually appeared in a few operas as well in non-speaking roles. And I learned later that uh, there was a opera written called Ginsburg v. Uh, v. Uh, Scalia um, in honor of their friendship. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. Um, I actually, um, I kind of wish that they had a scene where young Antonin Scalia uh, and young uh, Ginsburg <laughs> met up with uh, 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 Dick Cheney, with Dick, with young Dick Cheney, you know, all together. Because that's what it, <laughs> a crossover crossover episode. Yeah, they're so all funny. together. And then um, he like argues for the unitary executive theory. <laughs> Or she like introduces it to him, and he's like, "Oh, that's a good idea." <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I think that it's really important that we cover this portion um, in the podcast, which all this real stuff that Ruth Bader Ginsburg did. Because while this movie, like we said it earlier, it, it does kind of stick to the facts. It's uh, like what she really did in real life. That is way more impressive. Um, and there's been a lot of, um, I don't know, liberal fanboying or fangirling over Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and I think that a lot of people do that just because like it's the thing to do it's in vogue currently and it's it's virtue signaling to say that you like ruth bader ginsburg but i think it's important to actually look at what she did and find inspiration in that fact that she did make a difference that she was this revolutionary person and not just you know a superhero her and black panther are like neck and neck for like who's yeah, yeah. the better superhero i think you said it best on our tuesday night stream that it's kind of irrelevant those superheroes compared to her because what she did is real she yes. actually did she was a superhero in real life and um and i think that's amazing and i and that's really something that i didn't appreciate as much until well it fully right now um a lot of this stuff is still news to me it's crazy. I mean, she was, she's clearly a brilliant person, and it's just proof of how much one person can shape the world, you know, and how much an impact she can have. Um, and she did that in, like, such an effective and efficient way, despite, like, like all of these hundreds, like, hundreds of years of legislation that led to discrimination. She started to dismantle that all by herself, you know, over a long career. And, it, I mean, it, I think her legacy is going to live on through the work she's done, but also because she is inspiration to people. And I think you're, unfortunately, you're right that a lot of people are kind of jumping on the bandwagon. Plus, of course, there's, it's, there's this uh, constitutional crisis that's looming because of her death. Um, but I really wanted to take time to focus on the things that she achieved um, and, and all that stuff, because it is, it is awesome and inspiring. And um, it, it, I, I think it's so cool that 
she kind of got started in this late in life, you know, it wasn't until she graduated from college and, and started working like later on her, in her academic career that she really came to this idea and changed her whole life and dedicated that to the pursuit of equal rights under the law. Um, and I think that's awesome. I think that's well said, Joey. And I think we're ready to deliver our ratings as we do at the end of every episode. And I'll go first. I give this movie a hooray for mommy. Uh, <laughs> Excellent. Um, what about you? All right. I give this movie, I got a quote here. When I'm sometimes asked, this is from Ruth Bader Ginsburg, obviously. When I'm sometimes asked, when will there be enough women on the Supreme Court? And I say, when there are nine. People are shocked, but they'd be not, there's been nine men and no one's ever raised a question about that. So I say my rating to this movie is when there are nine. Nice. Very good. It's um, like I said, I think when people see us promote this episode, it'll probably look like the same kind of liberal fanboying, fangirling that we're referring to. Um, but and it is. If you're, well, if you're at this <laughs> point in the episode, I think that you know it's a little bit more than that. You can't, it's worth appreciating the changes that somebody made, but appreciate them for the reason the right reasons do it because you actually know what they did not because your favorite you know liberal influencer told you to oh yeah uh, and and i mean the more you read about her the more i think you'll the more you'll be inspired by it i think and um i think that's worth doing so i agree i think this is a great choice all right uh joey what are we watching next next we're watching uh rat race which is free on Amazon. So join us yes. for this rat race. You know what's interesting? We could, I'm not saying that we're potentially get, we're going to do this, but we could do this with a movie that's on Amazon, which is watch it live on Twitch together, mm. um, which is something you can do through Twitch Prime. But um, Rat Race, it's a movie that came out when I was a kid and it has a bunch of stars in it. And I'm not sure if it's good or not. So we're going to find out <laughs> when we uh, talk about it next. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And wherever you listen to us, make sure you leave us a review. It really does help us grow. You can reach us on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok at AffableChat on all those platforms, or send us an email, AffableChat at gmail.com. We also have a YouTube channel. It's called Affable Chat. That's right. Just search Affable Chat. We'll pop right up. And uh, Affable Chat is also live on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern on Twitch. Uh, we're live every Tuesday night. I'm on camera. Joey's in the chat. And we're, uh, we're playing video games and just hanging out, dude, talking about uh, you know everything that's going on. So make sure you check that out. 7 p.m. Tuesday nights twitch.tv slash affable chat and um, so yeah I think that's going to wrap up this episode for affable chat I'm Benjamin and I'm Joey thanks for listening